Thank you, Lord, for the living hope. That living hope is Christ Almighty because he's alive, he's not dead. Amen? Jesus, the resurrected one. I have an inheritance, and I want you to say that with me. I have an inheritance. It's incorruptible. It's undefiled. It will never fade away. It's reserved in heaven for me. That's my inheritance. That's your inheritance. It's incorruptible. It's undefiled. It will not fade, and it's reserved in heaven. Say it with me. It's my inheritance. It's incorruptible. It's undefiled. It will not fade away, and it is reserved in heaven for me. My faith is more precious than gold. Did you know that your faith was more precious than gold? The substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things unseen, which is faith. The genuineness of my faith in Christ keeps me praising and honoring and glorifying him forevermore. Forevermore. Some of you know I'm in 1 Peter. How well do you know your Bible? Turn to 1 Peter. Hallelujah. See, God chose us before the foundation of the world. He has chosen you before the foundation of the world. This, there's multiple places where this truth is found. Ephesians 1.4 and Psalm 139. Okay, so I'm going to read from Ephesians 4. Keep your, you can stay in, in 1 Peter because that's, that is where we're going to be. But in Ephesians 1.4, it says, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. He has chosen us. Say, he has chosen me. Before the foundation of the world, that I should be holy, that I should be without blame before him in love. Amen? So he's chosen me. He's chosen you. You have been chosen. You're a chosen generation. Yes, you are. You're a royal priesthood. Yes, you are. You're a holy nation. Now, in 1 Peter chapter 2 and in verse 9, this is where it's found. It says, but you are. We can read it together. 1 Peter 2, 9. But you are a chosen generation. Do we all have our Bibles open? Are we reading it? But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Who is to proclaim the praises of the Lord? We are. Well, you guys, that wasn't very, okay, we're going to read it again. I'm going to ask you the same question, and I think this time we're going to have a better response. But you are a chosen generation, hallelujah, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So, yeah, come on. Who's supposed to proclaim the praises of the Lord? We are. We are. You show the goodness of the Lord to other people. It is our job. We are chosen. What are we chosen to do? To show the goodness of God. To proclaim those, his praises in the midst of trouble. So we're chosen. God has chosen us. A chosen generation. A royal priesthood. 
a holy nation, a people to bring honor and glory to God. How? How? By proclaiming his praise who calls you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. We proclaim his praise, right? So we are chosen by God to bring him glory. Even when we are suffering rejection. Yeah. When we suffer rejection and persecution as a direct result from your obedience to Christ. Okay. So as a direct result of your obedience to Christ, but yet you're still suffering persecution and rejection. Um, say, this will end well because I will keep my eyes on Jesus. And I'll keep on praising. So you're chosen to bring God glory in the midst of your fiery trial. He's chosen you. He's chosen you because he can trust you to bring God glory in the midst of your fiery trial. So even in the midst of your fiery trial, when you're persecuted for righteousness' sake, that is, not being persecuted for stupidity, when you're being persecuted for righteousness' sake, for, being, for walking in obedience to the Lord, this, it's a fiery trial. But he's chosen you to bring him praise through it all. He's chosen you because he knows, okay, I believe they are going to be obedient to my word and give me praise and give me glory through it all. So fiery trials are supposed to cultivate exceedingly, exceeding joy in you. Did you know that a fiery trial, the end result of the fiery trial is actually supposed to bring exceeding joy? It's supposed to bring exceeding joy. In Psalm 119.67, I love this psalm. It says, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your word. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your word, right? And so fiery trials are going to cultivate an exceeding joy in me because I keep my eyes on Jesus and I keep praising him the whole way through. And we are not going to shrink back or do something other, anything contrary to giving God praise through it all. A gospel that is preached that tells you otherwise is not the true gospel. Don't need it. Don't want it. <laughs> I want to read to you. You can turn your Bibles. 1 Peter 4. Let's go to 1 Peter 4. In verse 12. We're going to read starting in verse, in verse 12. 1 Peter 4, 12. It says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing is happening to you. Don't consider it strange. Why is this happening? Why is this? This is strange. Why is this? This is weird. This is odd. Why is this happening? It says really clear here in this word, verse 12, beloved, talking to believers, do not think it is strange concerning the fiery trial, which is, it's just to try you. It's to try you. As though some strange thing happened to you. Look at verse 13. What does it say? What does it say? Thank you, this side of the room. Woman of God. What does it say? Okay, we're going to try the other side of the room. Good job. What does it say, verse 13? Rejoice. It says to rejoice. Don't think it's strange. It's a fiery trial. Don't think it's strange. Instead, rejoice. Look at the very next verse. 
says, but rejoice. But rejoice to the extent, to the extent that you partake of Christ's suffering, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Say it's conditional. But rejoice. Every time you think, wow, this is a strange happening. What is this fiery trial? It just Rejoice to the extent that you partake. So to the degree that you partake of rejoicing in Christ, to the degree, to the degree. Did you pass the test? Are you passing the test? We're going to pass the test. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're going to pass the test. You're passing the test right now. Because to the extent that you partake of Christ's suffering, when his glory is revealed, that you may be glad. With what kind of joy? You're going to be glad with what kind of joy? Exceeding joy. Didn't it already say, beloved, do not think it's strange when all fiery trials are happening to you? Do not think it is strange when you suffer for righteousness. Do not think it is strange when you follow after Christ and the heat gets turned up. Do not think it is strange when you said yes to Jesus and you pressed into his word. And then it was like, oh my goodness, life was easier before I was saved. No, it wasn't. It was the end result would have been worse, trust me. But don't think it's strange. We have to understand in the kingdom... In the kingdom of God, you know, it doesn't always make sense in the natural mind, but we don't operate from a natural mind. We're not supposed to operate from our natural minds. We're supposed to operate from the mind of Christ. So the more that you understand who Christ is and what he's done for you, the more the love of God has literally been just it wells up on the inside of you because you're in your word and you understand the character and the nature of God. The more that you understand that fiery trial, oh, it's just going to cause me to praise God even more. It's just going to, the fiery trial, first of all, it's under my feet, but I'm not going to stop giving him praise. It's going to result in exceeding joy. It's the exact opposite of what the world thinks is going to happen, right? Don't you love that? Because the Lord just turns the tables. Just turns it all, just turns the tables. Thank you, Jesus, for turning the tables. So fiery trials are supposed to cultivate exceeding joy in you. So the next time there's a fiery trial happening, you need to say, oh, that's okay, because I know where this is leading. I, I know the end result. I know that there's going to be exceeding joy. The Lord is my exceeding joy. It is his goodness. It is his love. It is his presence. And he fills me, and he fills you, right? Amen. So persecution for godly living should not be a surprise. It shouldn't be a surprise or even considered in an exception. Some people go, oh, yeah, well, sometimes it's an exception, but sometimes, you know, you're going to have, you're going to have persecution. No, actually, the more you serve the Lord, the more you see the persecution, the more committed you are to Christ, the more the persecution comes. So I don't know if this is new news to anybody. I hope not. But if it is, wake up to the truth. This is truth. It's good because the result is what? Exceeding joy. God has already given us a promise. Does God lie? He doesn't lie. So we already know what the end will be from your fiery trial. 
So don't keep your eyes on the fiery trial, but keep your eyes on the one that answers by fire. You need to keep your eyes on the one that is literally filling you with the fire of God. And your joy will be exceeding, exceeding. So to suffer for godliness should actually be the norm. You know, when we suffer for godliness, we relate to Jesus. Are we going to associate and relate to Jesus and find that a good place? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. So the Bible says, count it all joy. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you are faced with all, with various trials. This is in James 1. Let's go ahead and turn to James 1. Just turn to James chapter 1. It's just, just go over one book. You know, I can just read it to you, but at the same time, I think it's important when you read it from your own word, or they put it up there. But if you have your Bible, I just, to me, I, that's my preference. James 1, 2. It says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. It means diverse temptations. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work in you, that you may be perfect, that you may be perfect, and that you may be complete, and that you will lack nothing. Those are three promises right there, that you may be perfect, complete, and lack nothing. We're going to rejoice always. We're going to pray without ceasing. And in everything, we're going to do what? Give him thanks. We're going to give him thanks in everything, right? First Thessalonians 5, 16. That's exactly what we're going to do because it's good. Say it's good. So I love the word of God. The word of God is truth. The word of God has changed my life. So exceedingly, it's exceeding joy is the reward of your fiery trial. Hallelujah. I'm going to shout amen just because I can. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. So in your suffering, commit your soul to Christ in doing good. 1 Peter 4.19. Let's read it together. 1 Peter 4.19. It says, therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God. Now, there are some that suffer according to their own will. But that's not where we're referring to, are we? There are those that suffer according to their own bad decisions. That's not what we're talking about. There are some that suffer because of aligning themselves with, with people God never asked you to be aligned with. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about aligning yourself with the truth of God's word. We're talking about aligning yourself with the truth and pursuing godliness. Now let's read verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls there's an action point here that needs to be done. We have to read the word and actually apply the word, guys. When we apply the word, that's when we see the result, right? It comes to pass. So it says, commit your souls to him in doing good. But I kept on doing good. And I kept on. And then it got worse. And then they said this. And then they all left. And they were all rejected. Commit your soul to Jesus and continue to do good. 
didn't Jesus do the same thing? And didn't they persecute him? Didn't he commit himself? He is and was, Lord still is, always will be, never, never change. But he walked on earth. He walked on earth. And when he walked on earth, was he not persecuted? Was he not rejected? Wasn't it all manner of evil spoken and done against him? But yet he continued to do good. Therefore, let, the, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him, to Jesus, in doing good as to a faithful creator. Because our hope is not in ourselves and it's not in any circumstance. It is in the Lord, Jesus Christ. It's because we know we commit ourselves to him and do good because he is the faithful creator. He is the faithful father, right? So Jesus is returning. He is returning and his reward is at hand. And you will receive your crown of glory that will not fade away. Hallelujah. It's not going to fade away. Thank you, Lord, that we are going to receive our reward. Say, I'm receiving my reward. Yeah. So Jesus is returning and his reward is at hand. You will receive your crown of glory that will not fade away. 1 Peter 5, 4. 1 Peter 5, 4. It says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. A crown of glory that does not fade away. I don't know about you. Maybe I've just, I've been a Christian long enough, but see, that excites me. That excites me. I'm grateful for the crown of glory that will not fade away, of which I'm receiving. And you're receiving too. These are promises that God has spoken unto us, right? But look at, look at 2 Timothy 4.8. 2 Timothy 4.8. Because 1 Peter talks about a crown of glory. But 2 Timothy 4.8 talks about a different crown. talks about a crown of righteousness. And, and look at what it says in 2 Timothy 4.8. It says, finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me. Who's giving you this, this crown? The Lord. The Lord is giving you this righteous crown. Hallelujah. When, when I read that and the Lord is giving me this crown, I don't know about you, but it got me excited because the Lord is placing this crown on your head. It says, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So a crown of glory and the crown of righteousness given to you by the Lord. Only, only the beautiful, magnificent, incredible Savior, Creator, would have come up with such an incredible, incredible act of loving kindness and royalty. Only a, an incredible creator that knows, hey, they're going to go through some fiery trials for doing good, but there's such a great reward. And there's a reward here on earth, but there's also a reward in heaven. There's a reward here, 
you're going to get that exceeding joy, but also you're going to have crowns in heaven that are placed upon you by the Lord himself. Hallelujah. See, the more that you walk in the, in the Lord, the more you realize nothing else really matters other than what he says. It's what he says. And it matters 100% what he says. Everything else fades away. Everything else, it's like, oh, I might get you down for a moment or two. But it fades away because you shift your focus on the Lord. And you remember how good he is. Right? Hallelujah. So it says, therefore rejoice in the midst of trouble, for God gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the humble. The enabling power of God is grace. The grace of God is the enabling power of God. It's the grace that God has given to those who remain humble. And that's the key, right? Because we know persecution is promised to the believer. Second Timothy uh, 3 and 12 2 Timothy 3.12. It's important that you know these scriptures because they will comfort you. Okay? They'll give you that staying power. Look at 2 Timothy 3.12. It says, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. That's why we don't count it as strange or, wow, this is a rare occurrence. Why am I suffering all this suffering? No, 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 no. This is normal. But your normal is going to actually result in God's beautiful works of righteousness here and, here and now, not just one day when you get to heaven. Because you're going to learn how to take that which, is, that which is difficult and let God show you his beauty in and through it all. You're going to be able to be healed, walk as a saint, one that's on fire, one that sees from the heart of God in the midst of the fiery trial and give him praise no matter what. And when you're one that gives him praise no matter what, it's like your life here on earth starts to completely transform. And that's not to say there's no persecution. Oh, that will come. We're promised persecution. It just can't get you down anymore. It just can't keep you down anymore. Remember, to as much. So as much as you, as you have partaken in this. So therefore, there is something we need to do. So there are some that are going to experience more of that peace of God in the midst of their fiery trials. And there's some others that are not going to experience as much simply because they're not partaking in what's available for them. God doesn't play favorites. It's not because he's trying to withhold from you. It's because we, as mature believers, need to remember this fiery trial is going to turn out for my deliverance. This fiery trial is going to literally hear the sound of praise coming forth from this vessel. Amen? Speak to your fiery trial the praises of God. Literally. You speak to the fiery trial, all the praises of the Lord, my God. Yes, persecution is promised, but so is the goodness of the Lord. So is the blessing of God. See, people get stuck. People get stuck in the fiery trial, and then they, and that's the enemy's expectation, by the way. He wants you to get stuck in there. Your mindset's stuck. Oh, why is this happening? When is this going to end? Well, what about, Lord, I'm going to praise you through it all. It doesn't matter when it's going to end because I already know I am victorious. I already know that I'm getting the crown of righteousness. I already know that, Lord, you have clothed me with garments of praise. I already know I am the victor. I don't need to wait to see. I don't need, it doesn't have to be obvious. It doesn't have to all turn for me to praise you. Amen. Hallelujah. 
So exceeding joy is what follows correctly handling the fiery trials. Yeah. Exceeding joy. It's what follows when you correctly handle the fiery trials, which means we could not handle them correctly. Let's go to Matthew. Matthew 5. Matthew 5 and verse 11 and 12. It says, blessed are you. I should just love the words of Jesus. Blessed, blessed are you. <laughs> yes, when they, when they mock you, when they insult you, when they criticize you, when they curse you, when they revile and persecute you. You can add all those words in there because that's what it means. And they say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. He says, you're blessed. I'm blessed. I'm blessed. Rejoice. Oh, there it is again. Rejoice and be what? Exceedingly glad. Rejoice in the, in the most difficult time. Rejoice. Not just rejoice, but be exceedingly glad. That means more, more glad than you thought you could be. <laughs> exceedingly glad. Above and beyond glad. So rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Great is your reward. Hallelujah.